Have you ever been in one of those situations where you had no idea how to respond? Someone offers you, invites you over to their house, and they offer you turnip greens. You don't know how to respond. Um, no thank you, I'm strictly on a, I'm on a strict no-grass diet. Or maybe you put your foot in your mouth. Really bad. I've thought, this week, I've thought of a couple of personal examples over my lifetime that are so embarrassing to me that I can't even share them with you this morning. Or when I put my foot in my mouth. But once it happens, you're kind of like stuck as what to do next. Or perhaps someone asks you a question like, isn't baby, baby Yoda so adorable? What would you say to that? Puzzled I am. Or it could be something much more serious, like being introduced to someone famous. You don't really know what to say. Or even more serious, interacting with someone over their grief in the loss of a loved one. What's the correct response? How do you respond? The passage that we delve into this morning gives you the best possible response to facing the harsh realities of the journey that we call life. So if you have not yet done so, would you please turn to Lamentations 5. This is the final time in this series that we will turn to this book. We end our series today. You can find Lamentations chapter 5 on page 577 of the Pew Bible. As you turn, be reminded of God's kindness not only to send the Word, the Word made flesh, His Son, as we think about at Christmas time, but also be thankful for how He has preserved His written Word for you and for me, for us to read this morning. Lamentations is a, is a major prophetic book. It's a book of poetry that laments the fall of Jerusalem in the land of Judah. God's people were divided into the, the northern and the southern kingdoms, and Judah was, was, was one of those divisions, and Lamentations has taught us the reality of darkness in the life of a Christian, calls for the practice of lament in the life of a Christian, resulting in the hope of God in the life of a Christian. Our series has also taught us that lament calls us to action. Now, lament tells us to go to God, to complain to God, to ask of God, and to end by trusting in God. The book of Lamentations is composed of five poems. Lamentations 1 taught us about the, the misery of sin, the, the misery that sin brings with it. Lamentations 2 taught us to look for God's rule and how He rules with severity and how He rules with justice and how He rules with purpose. Lamentations 3 is, is the great turning point in the book where we find uh, the hope and, and the truth of, of, of God's hope for us and His mercies that are new every morning and how His, how His faithfulness is so great and how His covenant love endures for His children. Lamentations 4 teaches us that trials in this life provide a great opportunity to identify the idols of our hearts. In other words, when we're going through difficult times, times of hardship, those times often reveal who or what we are trusting in instead of trusting completely and exclusively in the Lord. Now while Lamentations 5 is 22 verses long, it's not like the previous chapters. It's the only chapter of this book that's not an acrostic from the Hebrew language. 
of the things that you can listen for as we read Lamentations 5. We'll go through it uh, in, in sections this morning. We're not, we're not going to read all of it here at the beginning. But one of the things that you can li- listen for as we read is that the primary voice that we hear is, a, is, is plural pronouns. So we will hear we and our and us. It reminds us that lament is a group project. That we are in this together. That we can corporately grieve and sorrow with those who grieve and those who sorrow. This chapter is the longest lament in Scripture. And it serves as a great example for us to follow in 2019. It's a great example because it provides a way for us to give voice to our struggle with the disappointments and the darkness of this life. It's a great example because it provides a way for us to be reminded of God's role and God's rule. And it's a great example because it provides a way for us to have hope in the face of darkness. Now, if you've gathered this morning and you're not yet a child of God, you've not yet been born again, I want to speak bluntly to you right now. You don't have that same hope. You don't have the hope that a child of God has because you're not trusting in Jesus Christ who is the only one who can provide renewal or restoration. This morning, listen carefully. If, you, if you've not yet called out to Jesus as your Savior, listen carefully to the message of Lamentations 5. Friends, I don't think any of us have to be convinced that our stories in this life don't always end up with happily ever after. That's kind of a, that's, that's fine for maybe a Hallmark Christmas movie, but, but many times reality is much different, isn't it? And that's the case in several of the, the prophetic books of the Old Testament. It's certainly the case here in Lamentations. There are, in fact, life-transforming events and circumstances that can affect the entirety, or at least the majority, of our lives here on this earth. How do you respond to those situations? How do you respond to a child with severe mental problems since birth? How do you respond to losing a son who was serving his nation at a naval air station? How do you, ser- how do you respond to the false accusations against a national gospel organization that are offered up on social media simply as clickbait? How do you respond to a friend of 15 years getting transferred to Branson? How do you respond to political leaders from all parties that claim they want the best for the nation but regularly choose to be divisive? Or how do you respond to the family member who claims Christ but refuses to assemble with brothers and sisters for worship? Or how do you respond to Christians that cheat on their spouse mentally, emotionally, or physically? How do you respond to a church-going kid that shows no interest in the gospel? Or to the disappointment of being rejected by the people you work with, the students you teach, or the family that you serve? How do you respond to a nation that was formed in order to exercise liberty and justice for all, but continues to practice racial prejudice? How do you respond to a Christian friend that tells you that they are fighting with all they have against the temptation to same-sex attraction? 
or facing the Christmas season alone because you've lost loved ones? How do you respond when your spouse of 68 years is at home with you on Monday and on Tuesday they are lying in a hospital bed with a fatal diagnosis? How do you respond to this? How do you reconcile the darkness of this life and the goodness of God's sovereignty? One means is through the gift of lament. And lament falls under the bigger umbrella of prayer. Lamentations 5 is all about teaching us to respond by praying. Here's the main thought for you to carry away this morning. For the believer, prayer is always the best response to the harshness of this life's journey. What could be a better response to, to trials other than going to the, to the only one who knows all the details? Going to the one who rules over all the details and the only one with the ability to offer you restoration, renewal. So this morning, consider your own practice of prayer. This isn't a sermon to, to, to drown you with, with guilt for failing to pray as much as you should or as much as you could or as much as you want to. This is a sermon that reminds you of the beautiful gift, the means that God has given to His children in helping us voice our grief and find grace in time of sorrow. This chapter gives us three ways to pray and a couple of subpoints for each of those. First, we see that we are to pray for God to remember. Look at verse number one. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. The, the poet takes the first step of lament. He's going to God. And then he immediately begins into that second step of, of complaining to God. He says, remember, O Lord. The word remember means to bring to mind again. God certainly had not forgotten their circumstances. The poet is, is attempting to draw God's attention to all of the hardships that Judah has experienced. It's talking about an appeal to God to notice the humiliation of his covenant people. This wasn't pointing out God's forgetfulness Rather, it was a plea for God's mercy and for God's grace. So how do we pray for God to remember? First of all, we pray for God to remember by rehearsing our grief. Continuing now in chapter number 5, verse number 2. Our inheritance is turned to strangers, our houses to aliens. We are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We have drunken our water, we have drunken our water for money. Our wood is sold unto us. Our necks are under persecution. We labor and have no rest. We have given the hand to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers have sinned and are not, and we have borne their iniquities. Servants have ruled over us. There is none that deliver us out of their hand. We gat our bread with the peril of our lives, because of the sword of the wilderness. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. They ravished the women in Zion. That means they raped the women in Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. Princes are hanged up by their hand. The faces of elders were not honored. 
They took the young men to grind, and the children fell under the wood. The elders have ceased from the gates, the young men from their music. The joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. For this our heart is faint. For these things our eyes are dim. Because of the mountain of Zion which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it. So here we have yet another description from the poet's on the dire situation in Jerusalem. Drinking water had to be purchased. The promised land had been overrun by by foreign armies. The people felt alone, evidently like orphans and widows. The women were being raped. Princes were publicly tortured and then executed. Elders were being disrespected. They did not have honor anymore. Men and boys alike were serving as slave laborers. And as we read in verse number 15, there was no more joy. It was a joyless time. Joy was gone. That's the point of chapter 5. It's a case where the people have reached the end of their rope. It's when you feel completely like an outcast, totally rejected, when there is no more joy in the Lord. The proper response is to cry out to God. As terrible as the poet feels, as horrible as this situation is, the poet still feels that God will hear him rehearse his sorrow, repeat what has already happened, what God is already aware of. He asks God to remember the situation, and he rehearses the details back to God, the details that God not only already knows, but that God has allowed to come to pass and ordained to come to pass. So whether our hard times in this life come as a result of God's chastening hand, or those difficulties come simply as a result of living in a sin-cursed world, disease, or the sins of others. Whatever the case may be, whatever the, the beginning of that hardship and that trial is, my friends, God does not say to you, just take it. Shut up and deal with it. We don't get that tone from God, do we, in Lamentations 5? Our Father longs to hear us cry out to Him, even to rehearse our grief back to Him. Do you realize how kind that is of God? What a grace, what a gift that is that our Creator God hears us crying out in our sorrow. Let that glorious truth sink deep into your heart today. Jenny Taylor was diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer on Monday. Her husband of 68 years described it as the worst day of their life. God does not look down on Kurt for saying that. That is not an inappropriate response from our dear brother. That is not a statement revealing a lack of trust. That is a statement revealing the reality of grief in a sin-cursed world. For the, for the tailors are trusting. They haven't lost hope in the Lord. They are. They're giving voice to the hardship. And that's okay with God. God is okay with that. God does not mind them doing so. In fact, He welcomes it. Friend, 
Pray like that. Pray like the poet prayed in this chapter. Pray, God, do you, not, do you remember the heartache of my miscarriage? God, remember my financial crisis from these years ago and where I am today because of it. God, remember how, how I've been hounded by this sexual sin for so many years. God, remember my, my, my fight with a health need. God, remember the dark clouds that I've lived in for so many years. God, please call to your mind the dire situation that I am enduring. That leads us to that second subpoint. First, God, pray to God to remember by rehearsing your grief. But second, pray for God to remember by asking for more grace. This is where we see the third step of laments, asking of God. The whole point in calling to God's mind and asking the Lord to remember from verse number one is that he would be stirred to action, that God would, would give them grace, that he would show them mercy. We do that in this life, don't we? We do that ourselves. We call a customer service line, we rehearse, we play back the details of the horrible situation that that company has provided for us, and how the company messed up or the, the shipping was wrong or whatever the details are. Why do we do that? Just to get it off our chest? Number one, that wasn't a question. Just to get it off our chest. And then also we're looking for something, aren't we? We're looking for a resolution. We're looking for something to happen to resolve the situation. The whole point of calling out to God to, to calling God to remember our trouble was so that he would be stirred to action. Friend, we are not praying to some customer service representative on the end of another phone line. We are praying to the only living God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. We are crying out, asking for him to extend favor to us that we are undeserving of. We are asking him to withhold more hurt or more hardship, not that we are deserving of. I was reminded of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Jesus was aware, the father was aware of the thief's situation, all of the details. And the thief called out from the cross, Lord, remember, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, what was the criminal on the cross asking for? Not just to be remembered, but to have something that he did not deserve. He was looking for grace. He was looking for mercy. He was placing his faith in Christ's ability to give eternal rescue. Friends, when you face the hardships of this life, pray for God to remember your situation so that, so that you can follow up by asking him for more grace, for more help. It's not a let's make a deal situation with God. It's throwing yourself at the feet of God and begging for help. Pray for God to remember by rehearsing your grief. Pray for God to remember by asking for grace. This is how we are to pray. For the believer, prayer is always the best response to the harshness that we will face in life's journey. What could be a better response what could be a better response to the trials that we face other than going to the one who knows about all of the details, the one who rules over all the details, and the only one with the ability to restore, to offer renewal? 
So that takes us to our, to our second way of praying that Lamentations points out to us. Lamentations 5. First, we pray to, for God to remember. Second, we pray to God as ruler. Look at verse number 19. Thou, O Lord, remainest forever. Thy throne from generation to generation. Brothers and sisters, this is a hugely encouraging truth. This is where the poet gives recognition to the abiding sovereignty of God. E.M. Bounds, a man who wrote much on prayer, Civil War chaplain, he put it this way. Praying men and God's providence go together. This was thoroughly understood by the praying people of the Scripture. They prayed over everything because God was involved with everything. They took all things to God in prayer because they believed in a divine providence that had to do with all things. Do you believe, Harvester, that God has to do with all things? We pray to God as ruler. First, we see that it gives hope to our present. God rules. And that factualizes the past for us. And that gives hope to our current day. God rules. It's a declaration of God's sovereignty and of God's permanence and of God's stability. There's, there's nothing outside of God's reach in your life. God is permanent in His rule. He's always ruled and He always will rule. God is stable in His rule. He doesn't change from one century to the next. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. God is stable. Having that understanding gives you hope for the trials that you're going to face this afternoon. It gives you hope for your presence. Whatever your lot, whatever your grief, whatever your disappointments, whatever your hurts, whatever your trial, you can find hope in the truth that God rules over all that's happening in your life today. So pray to God as your ruler. It gives you hope for your presence, but it also gives you hope for your future. Thou, O Lord, verse 19, remainest forever thy throne from generation to generation. Brother Phil read for us from Matthew 2 this morning, the first, I think, 11 verses. Listen to a, a section further down in the same chapter from Matthew 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, In Ramah there a voice heard, Lamentation! and weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. That was a significant headline in Jesus' day. People were still lamenting because of what was, was still sorrowful. There was still grief because of what was happening then. What we hear when we watch headlines today, our burden for the next generation should increase, right? That our, our burden for the children that are coming up should, should increase as we see what's taking place in our society today. It makes me thankful for ministries like Child Evangelism Fellowship 
and Bible Visuals International and Operation Christmas Child. I'm burdened for the kiddos in our own congregation when I think about the future that they face as our culture denies the truth of God's Word. But Lamentations 5.19 gives hope for our children. It promises that there is a hope for all generations precisely because God remains on His throne. His throne is forever and ever. He remains there, thy throne from generation to generation. I hope that you've had the privilege, as I have had this, this Christmas season, of listening to a, a live performance of the Hallelujah Chorus for Handel's Messiah. It makes the truth of Scripture boldly proclaim that our Lord will reign forever and ever and ever as King of kings and Lord of lords. That is how we are to pray. We are to pray to the Lord, to, to our God as our ruler. It gives us hope for our present and it gives us hope for our future. This is how we are to pray. You see, for the believer, prayer is always the best response to the harshness of our life's journey. What could be a better response to the trials of this life other than going to the only one who already knows all of the details, the only one who rules over all of the details, and the only one who is able to offer restoration? So pray for God to remember by rehearsing your grief and by asking for grace. Pray to God as ruler, giving you hope in your present and hope for your future. And then thirdly, pray for God to renew. And here is where we see the fourth step of lament, trusting in God. The lament closes with a prayer that God would restore the people to their days of old. Verses 20, 21, and 22. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever and forsake us so long time? Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. But thou hast utterly rejected us, and thou art very wroth against us. First, we pray for God to renew with an understanding. We pray for God to renew, knowing that the temptation will be to doubt that He will renew. Verse 20 says, Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us? And then verse 21, there's, a, there's this longing for a renewal. There's a yearning for a renewal. There is a hope for renewal. And then still in verse 22, there's a feeling of being forsaken. Verse 22 could be read, unless you have utterly rejected us, or it could be read, or have you completely rejected us, God? Will God utterly reject his people? The answer is only hinted at by the request of the people found in verse 21. It's a request for renewal, for restoration. The poet is still ho holding on to the, the covenant God made to them. If God had completely rejected his people, there would be no hope of reconciliation. That is the temptation that you will hear from the devil himself. That God has completely, utterly rejected you. You will hear the temptation that you'll, you'll be tempted to believe that because you have sinned so many times, because you have committed that same sin so many times, so many years in a row, so many decades in a row, you've given yourself to that thought, you will be tempted to believe that God 
has utterly rejected you. Or maybe it's not a sin issue. Maybe you find that your sorrow and your grief, the darkness of this life, is so strong that you feel as if God has completely or utterly rejected you. As the hymn text says, when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, look above and see him there, the one who made an end to all our sin. Look to Jesus. Christian, pray for God to renew you. Pray that he will restore you, even as you are tempted to believe that God has utterly forgotten you. So you pray in this direction, but you also pray knowing the truth that God has already started this process of renewal. This process of being renewed and being restored is already underway. By the end of the prayer, there is only a hint of hope. By the end of Lamentations 5, it's a plea for restoration. Hope, you see, comes in knowing who God is. Who is God? God is love. For God so loved the world. We can pray for God to renew because we know the truth. He's already started the process of renewal in us. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? In the fullness of time, God sent His Son, who would one day be crucified for sins that were not His. Jesus would die as a payment for the sins of all who placed their faith in Him. Jesus would not stay dead. He was raised from the dead. And now he lives in heaven as a high priest, making intercession for us as sinners. How can we pray for God to give us renewal? Because we know that he's already begun the process in us. We've been born again. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous life. At one time we were darkness, but now we are children of light. We were outside the fold, but now we are inside. We have believed in the one who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. And he has promised to continue a good work in us. Brothers and sisters, when you face the hardships of this life, pray for God to restore the joy of your salvation. Ask God to help you endure the trial. Ask God to bring to you a, a, a new understanding, a fuller understanding of the hardship. Ask God to bring you out of that trial as a different person, as a person who is more conformed to the image of Jesus. Pray for him to come again quickly and to make all things new for you. When you pray, do you pray for renewal? Do you pray for God to restore the joy of your salvation? This is how we are to pray. Pray for God to remember by rehearsing your grief and asking for grace. Pray to God as ruler, finding Hope for your present and hope for your future. And pray for God to renew, even as you face the temptation to believe that He has forsaken you. I've said some really, really embarrassing things in my life. I've eaten some really bad-tasting stuff. I've had some really awkward situations that I was absolutely stunned I was absolutely lost as to how I should respond. Maybe you feel, in a sense, that same lostness as you're looking at the darkness, the hardship of this life. You just don't know how to respond. For the believer, prayer is always the best response for the harshness of this life's journey. 
What should you do when the hardships of this life seem to drown out all the joy of your salvation? What should you do when the darkness seems to envelop your soul? What should you do when the personal sadness and frustrations and failures have mounted higher than ever? What should you do when you don't understand the ways of God in this world or in your own personal life? What should you do when all around your soul gives way? Pray. You should pray. Brothers and sisters, you should pray. God doesn't tire of hearing from His children. One pastor said it this way, As long as you have life and breath, you have it for a reason, and therefore have hope. At least ask God, Go to Him in prayer. Friends, it's not about the exact right words of prayer. It's not about the number of minutes that you spend in prayer. It's not even about having the specific attitude to start prayer. It's simply about coming to God, complaining, rehearsing the trial, asking of grace and mercy from God, and trusting in God. May God help us to be men and women of prayer, whose response to the harshness of this life is prayer to the one who can and will give renewal to his children. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.